I don't know, Joel. It's never too it's never too <laughs> early to start going spicy. Yeah. Hundred percent. Whatever you say, Ben. Welcome to Practical Shooting After Dark. Exactly right. <laughs> ben, we're here to talk about shooting. Um, on deck tonight, we have Mr. Mr. Hopkins. Hi. And Mr. Park. Hello. Well, guys, you know the deal. Everybody comes here with a topic, something to talk about, that sort of thing. But you know what? I think uh, today I'm pretty sure that Hopkins is going to want to talk about low-cap nationals. Yep. So it makes sense to put you up first so you can tell us all about it. Yeah, so low-cap nationals held in Talladega, Alabama. They had the two least-performing two least divisions and one of the most powerful divisions that they've wrecked. And then single stack also. <laughs> wow. Okay. Is that spicy enough to start? All right. No. Got my got my attention, I guess. All right. Perfect. So uh what should I start with? Should I start with the good things or the bad things? Start with the good. Well, it's interesting you group it that way. Why don't you tell me about uh the range? Because okay. a lot of people are gaga over that range. I have oh, to be yeah. honest, so, I don't really know why. I'm actually wondering why also at this point. So Talladega, Alabama, CMP Marksmanship range or whatever it is. So before you can do anything on the range, you have to sit through a safety video where they explain how to get qualified on the 100-yard range and then the 300-yard range, then the 600-yard range, and then they tell you about the PPC range and then the uh, like the 50-yard pistol line. No. Then they go over the safety rules. Yeah, so you have to sit through that video, and then you get a safety card. Well, you were going to all those bays while you were there, though, those ranges, right, Matt? I don't even know where they are. Oh, okay. But we had to sit through them and watch uh, everything. One quick question. Was that your first yeah. time being to that range? Yes, it was. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, so show, that, that safety card is good for one year. So if you were at low cap and did it, you keep your card. You can reuse it at the next high cap match if you go to that. But if low cap is a year away, like you got to sit through it again and listen to it again. Uh, they have a very nice clubhouse. It's... It's good to for like a clubhouse or small group meetings. It's not good for award ceremony. We can get that to that later, right? And all sure. the issues that presented. Well, sure. Uh, I mean, they have so, action pistol bays. They have fifteen pistol bays. So some people might ask, how are they going to have a twenty stage match on fifteen pistol bays? Well, let me tell you, they doubled up six bays. That was the only way they could get all the stages on those bays. Uh, so obviously everybody knows what happens when you double up bays. You get backups, right? Yeah, tell me about match flow. Uh, every well, no, double Matt, bay had a backup. Don't they usually put short, simple stages in the double bays? Yeah, but two of them don't make up for one large field. No, they don't. And it was like box-to-box type stuff from what I kind of saw. Yeah, it was either box to box, a stand and shoot, or very small movement with like 12 round stages or 20 round stages or something like that. They had a they had two class two new classifiers out there. Uh one had like a 14 hit factor in production that won it or something 
ridiculous the, the eight, like that. Reload eight, reload eight one. Yeah, that's the one everybody posted the video on. Yeah, is that actually gonna be a classifier though? Yeah, that's what Jake said. Yeah. Oh goody. <laughs> Highly test of skill there. Well, it's very it's very interesting test of skills. It is, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, double bays. They had a chrono. They had a function fire bay on the chrono bay, which was also the vendor area. So, chrono, function fire, and all the vendors were on the same bay. I thought the vendors being on the chrono bay was awesome for vendors. So every competitor had to go by. They had to sit there and wait for chrono. So they had to have at least some time to go by the bays and look at all that, like, and look at all the stuff. So it was good for that. I like that. Being in the function bay, like, that was a problem. Because, like, every time, like, in turnover, like, everybody would be shooting crazy amounts of ammo. And it was so loud. Like, you couldn't even hear yourself think. It was it was very loud. So could you be standing at the vendor area, like, checking stuff out without Ear Pro then, or no? Not if you like your hearing. Oh. Like, it was that loud. Oh, no. But okay. they don't have the bays to accommodate it. Like, that's the problem. That Like, that's one of the many problems that you guys will see here in a, few, in a bit. So, uh, shooting range. Uh, parking... I think was an issue. Like, it was tight. Like, where they had all the vendors park and the staff park was kind of, like, next to the bays. That was pretty tight. They had competitor parking up on the hill where the second set of bays is. Um, I guess that was okay. I don't know. Like, there was plenty of room there. Uh, they had a big parking lot that was kind of a little farther away, kind of like Frostproof is, I guess. Uh, is that not, like by the clubhouse? A, you mean out front? No, no, or? that the clubhouse is like two miles away. Yes. Okay. Uh, they had five porta potties on the whole entire range for the shoot. What? Yeah. Yeah, they had five porta potties. That's all they had. So you can imagine how many people were there and how often those were used when people were drinking bunch of fluids, trying to use the bathroom all the time, right? Were they spaced out or all in one clump? No, they were all spaced out. Like okay. there were two on the upper section and three on the lower section. Okay. But still, there was like 200, 200 and something people on the range at a time. And during changeover, there was double that or a little more. <laughs> Those things were rated for like five people for five days or something. Like that math doesn't add up. So unsanitary conditions with the porta potties oh, they had to be imagine. pumped they were they were full every day at like 2 p.m like it was not good oh my gosh um they had somebody cater the match but i don't know who they were there was no marked signs on their thing they kind of delivered out of the back of a <laughs> truck or a jeep or something and they were all like pre-made sandwiches off the range with chips and drinks uh Definitely a stark difference from what you guys have seen in Frostproof in the past. Even if you haven't ate there, you've seen them. Like, they have a pretty good meal, like, on heated warmers and stuff like that. So, uh, definitely could be an improvement in that. They had water in between the bays, so at the end of the bays. So, it would take water for two bays. So, like, as you're transitioning between the bays, you can grab it. I thought that was fine. That was that was perfect. Uh, good enough. Uh, what else? What else? What else? Stage design? Yeah, mm -hmm. I have to... I mean, 
didn't but, attend the match. The stages looked like a lot of box to box stuff. Pretty, so pretty they had to just because all the double bays. So like, there were six double bays. So twelve out of the twenty stages were double bays. I'm with you. Uh, so they had what it looked like. They had a super long, complicated field course next to a double bay, trying to get the time for both to equal. Mm-hmm. And it never does. Like it just never does. Make readies take forever. Different how depending on how they run the stage and how they start, people all is different. Um, uh, it was difficult match for iron. Like I don't know. I'm not used to shooting iron sights. It was stupid that I went there and did that. Like, but we're not going to talk about that. Like it was dumb. I didn't perform very <laughs> well at all. <laughs> going from shooting a dot for like a year and a half to shooting irons with no practice didn't work out real well. Um. What's next? Talladega, like they have a bunch of hotels around there. Looks like there's there's tons of Airbnbs around 25 minutes away, 30 minutes away. Uh, so everything's closer than frostproof. Uh, there's two basically suburbs around there that have all the hotel chains, all the food chains, either direction. So no issues there. Mm-hmm. Um, we Before, stayed a pretty. Go ahead. Did they announce where Production Nationals is going to be next year yet? They did not. They have not announced anything for 22 yet. Because I thought normally when like this year's match was over, they announced it for the following year. Maybe they're putting it in the fall. Who knows? Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, no announcements for next year yet. Okay. Uh, I guess award ceremony then, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, award ceremony, we're in the clubhouse. If you guys have seen on the live video, it looks like it's a really nice back deck. Mm-hmm. And that is great. There's tons of room for the actual stage and where the awards are given out. There's four picnic tables for a 400 competitor match. Sounds reasonable. 100 people to a picnic table? Yeah, it's fine, right? Okay. Sounds sure all right. That worked out well. Yeah, it worked out perfect. Oh, and then it was raining also, so they tried to have the awards outside. And the only cover was like an awning next to the building. So those 400 people that weren't on the table at the picnic tables with cover, they were all huddled like right next to the building. (laughs) I'm sorry, Matt. I just, I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. I swear. Oh, it's fine. It is what it is, right? Yeah. Um, well, Matt, I wasn't there, but I've seen some pretty uh, pretty full-send stuff talking about the food situation for the banquet or something. Award ceremony. Oh, yeah, yeah. They ran out of food with, like, at least 50 people in line. And the way they remedied that, they brought out a plate of cold broccoli with ranch sauce. They <laughs> bought one sheet cake. So someone, someone basically explained it like, so they went to Costco or Sam's Club and bought all the stuff that you could warm up, and they basically didn't buy enough to provide food for everybody. Did they not think people would be there for the award? I guess it's too tough to speculate if they didn't think people I, would go to I have to no idea what they were thinking, but it was <laughs> not very well prepared, so they need to do better at that on the next one. I saw a lot of stuff about that online. People were not super happy, it appeared. Well, guys, you saw how much food we were eating after every day on the range when you were at my place. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. That was quite excellent. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, Oh, yeah. This is the kicker I love. At 6.03, they're like, final scores went up. 
food will start at 6.30. They never said it any time before that. So they gave you a 27-minute warning. And then they're like, award ceremony will start at 7. And that's the first communication they had about the award ceremony or the food, the, any of that stuff. Like They had like no communication prior to that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So people were generally very happy with this match? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the talk of like day two and three was, I guess, Foley got in an argument with a member and oh, made awesome. himself look like a really, really, really professional president for the org. That's I have I have heard some talk of that. That yeah. might that, be well, a little sarcastic never, about the That's never happened before, you know. I mean, I guess. Not this year it hasn't. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you anticipate um some more details about that situation hitting the internet, Matt? I do believe there will be some more that comes out about this, so stay tuned. Okay. Good, good. Uh will so the the next set of nationals, whatever those are, high cap or whatever they're called. No, no, they have, two gun, be... they have two gun nationals next. Oh, well, sorry. The other pistol nationals are going to be at uh, the same range, Talladega, right? Yeah. And then will it, will it be back next year also, or is the location not even decided for next year? I don't know about that. I would. Okay. I don't know. I haven't heard. I'm sure they signed some long term contract, though. No, I just I, I hadn't seen anything about it, so I didn't even know what the what the vision was. No, I haven't either. I don't know what they're actually planning on doing. Well, what's your gut tell you, Matt? I for sure see they'll be back there. <laughs> Why do you think that? Well, I've heard they charge less than Frostproof does, so that's well, probably a pretty good indicator. Yeah, that would be how those decisions get made. So, all right. Well, I think, well, thank you for the update there, Matt. Anyway, sure. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, Training Group Summit, which shouldn't really be just my topic. We're all there. I mean, this is what you wanted to talk about, Rachel. Indeed it was. Well, I mean, where do we even start with this? Uh, let's pretend somebody, well, most people probably don't even know what it is or what we did. So, yeah, it's uh, up how you do it and all that. Like, how do you get to it? Or what well, what we wanted to do was have like an event, some sort of an event, not really like a for-profit paid class type of thing, but just an event, a get together for uh, training group members where we'd have some instructors and then training group members and kind of mix them up together in some sort of a collaborative uh, training event. And that's what we tried last year. And um, based on the feedback we got from that, we, we changed it up this year. So this year we had uh, 11 instructors for four, I guess it was four squads of people mm -hmm. in classes. And they just kind of took two hour classes in rotation and got to take everyone's class. And I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, ben, to clarify, last year we had uh, so many people and not enough instructors. So not everyone got to take every instructor's training block, their two hour block. So we videoed most of them, put them on training group. Uh, this year we did the same thing. We got, uh, I think, pretty much all of them videoed, and they'll be on training group in the near future. But the interesting thing apart about this year was everyone got to take every instructor's block. That was a, I didn't mean to interrupt, but that was a big, a big change that I think people really liked. Well, but then the other thing is there wasn't really time for other stuff. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of turned into more of a, a three-day class with 11 different instructors. It's kind of mm -hmm. what it turned into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I, I think the people liked 
having something to do the entire time, right? I would agree. I think they did. Uh, just to show how, how busy people were, we had three stages that were built on one end of the range. And for my block of uh, teaching, I went down there, we shot all those stages just like it was a match. Um, and most people had not done anything on them before. Like they played on one stage as part of a block prior, but like the other stages were totally fresh. Yeah, so I don't I, think I anybody else. They like, had no time. For the first two days, no one had time to do anything else. Like it was an instructors playing on those stages before that. Yeah. And that was it. Uh, and if you're a training group member, I'll probably, by the time you hear this, I'll have a survey posted. So it'll be like what people liked, what they didn't like, what they'd like to see more of, what they'd like to have different, all that stuff. Uh, because like, I mean, basically the changes we made this year were the feedback we got from the survey I posted last year, what members wanted more of what they wanted to see change. So we, like Ben said, it's not really a for-profit. It's a, it's a thank you for the membership and it's fun because all the all the bros get to get together and train up too. So it's kind of a win for everyone. Yeah. Like the instructors didn't get shit out of it. Like they maybe got their plane ticket covered if they flew there. If it was a cheap ticket. Yes. Yeah. If it was yeah, a cheap we ticket. basically got travel expenses paid for. That was it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we should talk about uh, the block that we liked the most, or maybe it was the most interesting to other people. And for me, I don't know if what you, which blocks you guys took, but I think Andreas's block was very interesting. And um, that's one of those things that it's nice to tell people to try, but when you actually get them to do it, they see the results. And what his block basically was, uh, it was where you fire the first shot of a drill with live ammo and fire the last shot of a drill with live ammo, but then get sight pictures and manipulate the trigger right up to the wall on all the other targets. Um, and kind of what he showed with that is that you could do very effective practice with a lot, lot less ammunition. And having people actually do that, I thought was very interesting. And he was making sure to note the times and and kind of sh make comparisons with people to tr totally dry uh, and then like full on live fire. And he showed that it was, you know, pretty effective. And I agreed with him. So I thought I thought that was a good block for people. I like that a lot. Uh, I'm looking forward to watching the video because I did not get to attend that. Which block did you take that you really liked, Joel? Uh, probably Mason's was really one of my favorite. I've dropped a couple clips of his, or I dropped one clip at least of his on yeah. social media. Uh, it was outstanding. So it was really good about kind of leveraging your abilities and being realistic about what could happen. We shot Everyone shot Mason's Finding 100 drill, which you can see on Training Group, or I think it's on his YouTube channel. Uh, but it's really good because he's... He's giving you a lot of data and what the kind of I, I felt like one of the ways to summarize it was what do the results look like when you lay back a bit and shoot a conservative run? What do the results look like when you shoot at match pace? And what do the results look like when you push and how what are the actual differences? Are they noticeable? Are they close? You know, how how uh, how much when the difficulty spike when you decide to push? What do things look like? When do things fall apart? What would you do in a match? I think that's pretty interesting. A lot of people could draw conclusions from how they want to behave in a match from, you know, how they performed on those drills. So did you notice that when doing that finding 100 drill that, um, well, I'd say most drills you do, people fall into pretty specific patterns mm -hmm. for like, um, 
issues you see or whatever. But on that finding 100 drill, I don't really feel like it's that way. Does that make sense? How so? Tell me more. Like some people's, I mean, you'll see some people have a perception that their 90% is uh, way slower than their 100% and the times are really tight. Or you'll have people that it's like the reverse of that. uh, Or you'll have other people that when they slow down to 80%, they, I mean, they don't slow down at all from their night. I mean, you see a lot of weird shit happening in the times. Yes. Yes. Specifically, like, it's like, hey, shoot. Now this is just. Just shoot a safe run at 80%, whatever. Don't do anything dumb. And yeah, I mean, in some cases, the time's even faster than their match pace. Or it mm-hmm. looks the same. Or it's the same with worse hits. Or it's it's slightly slower with way better hits. I mean, like, anything can happen. And, and I, worse, think, go ahead. I think it's just showing you how people's perception really plays tricks on them. Mm-hmm. I think that's also one of the drills where you have to get good at doing the drill before it's actually effective. So you have to actually learn to do that and shoot at 80, 90, 100, right? I, I have agree. to do that a couple mm-hmm. times before you actually, I think that drill can be effective. But it was very good to get the explanation from Mason and like mm-hmm. do a shortened version of it so we could work everybody through it. And like mm-hmm. they can take that, what they learned in the class and apply that when they get back home. I think that was the best part of it. And one part that Mason like reiterated that was very, very critical is before you do the run, you have to call what it's going to be. So you don't just like crack off a magazine, you know, full of ammo at the targets like, oh, I think that was a full send run. It's like, no, 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 no. Before you even get the buzzer, you decide how you are going to shoot this and what your, you know, what your thought process is, what you're trying to accomplish. Not just like, well, I think that was a match run. That was pretty safe. It's like, that doesn't work that way. Yeah, um, the, was, the other thing that's, that's interesting is when people go full send, in some cases, there was very minimal time difference, but I mean, the hits go straight in the garbage. I, I, I saw a little bit. So it's kind of just interesting, like what Ben said, just um, kind of observing how people behave, what they learn. I think it's different for everyone, but I found it very interesting. I enjoyed it. Mr. Matt, did you take any blocks? I took mainly Mason and Kim and then did some stuff on my own on the side. So I took uh, Kim's class is very interesting. He went over measurement drill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's also another one of those drills, like, you can see it and watch it, but, like, till it's getting explained right to you, it doesn't really make sense, to me at least. So everybody got to go through that, learned how to do it, and uh, I thought it was really well. Nice. So I'll yeah, be taking like, that and experimenting with that later. Yeah, or even, like, he's doing confirmation. It's like, okay, this is confirmation, too, for everyone. And then it's like you know, stand by, you get the beep, and some people bring the gun up to eye line, and they, like, the sights just, like, sit there for a while, and they stare at them, and then they fire, and then Kim's calling people, like, yeah, that wasn't confirmation, too. You shouldn't be staring at the sights. You know, so it was very interesting, also, where people actually get, in real time, like, that's not actually what you're doing right now. This is what needs to happen, and then he's watching and kind of coaching them to do the drill correctly, and there's a lot of value in that, also. Sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I'm just gonna react to the fiber of my front sight, but you don't really realize, like, the thing comes up there. It looks like you switch your focus between the target front sight back to the target. And then at some point before the sun goes down, you decide to send it. It's like, yeah, that wasn't confirmation too. So I think there's a lot of value with having. He was really uh, good in Kim's class. He was very specific. Uh, like if someone had a question about grip or something, he he steered them to something else and he kept on topic really well too. So That's like, good. you know, someone with a grip or trigger control issue, like that could derail something for two hours. 
Mm-hmm. And he had a his session was jam packed with info, like always, right? <laughs> As they always are, which is nice to have it on video. Yeah, don't call him the professor for no reason. He is the professor. Uh, all right, guys, let's take a question, huh? Sound good? Sounds amazing. Yep. Oh. Uh, this one's pretty good. We often hear advice on stage plans and risk versus reward. What specifically do each of you do to explicitly quantify that and how it plays into a stage plan? Things like taking longer, difficult shot versus moving to a different spot for an easier shot or standing and shooting more uh, targets versus shooting some on the move. So once again, stage plans, risk and reward, and how do we explicitly quantify it and how it plays into a plan? Oh boy. I mean, this is deep, right? I, I think a it lot is. of it comes down to how like you end up you end up feeling like how you can do it. Like it's kind of like a gut feel, but not right. Well, you're giving the answer that I was gonna give. Mm-hmm. You, you, do not expl- you do not explicitly quantify it then, do you? Yeah, there's no way. You can't say like, well, if this target's eleven yards, you can do it on the move, but if it's twelve, you can't. Like you're not up there measuring all the targets. It's like a gut feeling based on previous experience that you've done something in the past that looks close to that or is that, that you know how well that worked out. Right, because I don't really think it's a mathematical risk versus reward. I don't think we really work that way. I don't even think people do that with moving targets. Like, when's the last time you actually were like, oh, this is a seven-hit factor, so I can skip that moving target, right? Can you even remember a time when you've done that? No. And I can't specifically remember the last time I did that. That's the that's probably the number one thing people will talk about when they're talking about something like this, though, right? Yeah. I mean, it, people talk about, I don't really view, most decisions aren't really risk versus reward. It's like, hey, here's an opportunity to shoot on the move. Are you comfortable with it or not? You know what I mean? It's like, if you're not comfortable with it, shooting it that way anyway is probably not going to work out. Right. It's like... I don't know. I don't really think about it this way. What, did, uh, Joel? Do you have something uh, different? You guys are talking sense. Uh, yeah. To add to that, people always love the conversation. We've done it on a podcast before. You know, Ben, how would you decide to shoot this target on the move, or you know, how to post up something like that? But for the majority of people listening to this, uh, there's probably what a less than one percent, or maybe one percent of people that would should be making those choices. For most people, like, just don't do anything stupid. Seriously, like, just hit the targets. Uh, it doesn't Find matter. Targets, hit the targets. If it's a five or a six, six, like, hit factor, if you can't hit the target or you're dragging off or you're shooting deltas, like, it doesn't matter. It's like, you just have to hit the targets. It's well, like what Matt's saying, pl- prior training experience. I mean, for example, the last club match I shot, like, um, as I think back through it, there there was no risk versus reward decision-making at all that I can think of in seven stages. No, wait, there was. At one point, um, I could have taken 10 rounds uh, in one spot, but that would include too many poppers, and it made no difference, so I shot six rounds instead and just rearranged the reloads. That was the only thing I did. And it wasn't really risk. It wasn't really a time thing. It was like making sure I don't run myself out of ammo thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just don't, I don't really think about it this way in terms of risk versus reward. 
I don't either. Uh, leveraging your skills would be one way I would think about it, where you see something, hey, I'm pretty strong at this. I want to, you know, if I'm going to roll through these targets, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to, you know, lean out, roll my shoulders, whatever. Like, that'd be cool if you're comfortable doing that stuff. But your yeah. position in a match shouldn't be like, well, I might beat Hopkins if I go full send on this, but I might end up in fifth place too. Like, I think the only risk versus reward that people would even think about would be like how many targets in between an activator, right? Or before an activated target actually gets shot. I mean, I guess a lot of the time that comes down to everybody's doing the same amount. Mm -hmm. The risk is like such a small percentage to gain compared to the time that you're going to save. Like it doesn't make sense. Like usually one target is all you'll take between a, activator and an activating target all right well i don't think we have anything to add to that really listeners if you have a question you'd like the answer to go to venstegger.com send us your questions we'd love to hear from you all right and with that 